We're here in Garapaba in the southern region of Santa Catarina, and I'm about to get choked out by the most handsome green-eyed gentleman in South Brazil, Steve Elaine. Hello, and welcome back to the final episode of No Contest Off Tour podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to the new Stab and Red Bull Media House series. I'm Tyler Brewer from the Swell Season Surf Podcast, and we are again joined by the director and show host, Ashton Goggins. Um, so this is the final one that we're going to be doing for this series, for this season. Um, this has been quite a journey, Ashton. Thank you for being my Anthony Bourdain of surfing here. Oh, it's uh, thanks again for uh, for having us. It's been really nice being able to sit down and talk about the six months that we just had making the show and to give people a little bit of the backstory about each episode. Uh, for our last episode, we went to my favorite place on the earth, I think. Uh, we were in Brazil, specifically South Brazil, um, the state of Santa Catarina. Um, Brazil is an enormous country, and I feel like that's a platitude and it should be an obvious statement, but <laughs> a lot of people have this preconceived notion that Brazil is one thing, which would be like assuming that America is one thing and not a multitude of states. And the south of Brazil is known as being the sort of beating heart of Brazilian surfing. It's where the industry has been based for decades. It's where countless of its top surfers have come from. It's where a ton of the best surfers have moved to live for various reasons over the past 15, 20 years. Um, and it's one of the most consistent places on the planet as far as high-performance waves go. We were there to meet up with Mateus Hurdy in Florianopolis, um, which is the capital of Santa Catarina. They call it the Island of Magic. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's this beautiful island city that is pretty much hemmed on all corners by little nook and cranny little beach breaks and setups for waves to, regardless of what direction the wind is. There's always somewhere with at the very least side or offshore winds, as or as Mateus likes to call it, there's always air wind. <laughs> um, and you see that in the style of surfing that comes from there. It's almost entirely high performance, super progressive. Um, like almost like gymnastic style surfing, especially Mateus. Um, and we were able to spend two weeks driving the entire 600 kilometer long coastline from north to south of Santa Catarina from uh, Paraná, where there's a wave called Machinos. goes all the way south to Praia Vila and Garapaba. Praia is where, like, sort of the, where surfing first started. It's where the CT used to go back in the Andy Kelly days. Yes. Where Nathan Hedge beat Andy to win Kelly his eighth world title? Uh, seventh. Seventh world title. Seventh world title, yeah. Um, so we got to go see the full scope of sort of setups, uh, types of waves, uh, the different scenes in each of the little towns, and it just left me like reeling from the experience, just seeing how much there is and how much variety in surf culture there is in that area of Brazil. Um, 
it's a place that I don't think I would ever get bored. It's Sao Paulo too is like one of the like you said one of the largest cities in South America. Yeah, the largest city. The largest, right? It's massive. Yeah, you so doing a, a trip to South Brazil and really going to Brazil and for for most routes you fly through Sao Paulo. And Sao Paulo's the biggest city in the southern hemisphere. Something like 12 million people live in the city and 22 million people live in like the greater metropolitan Sao Paulo region. And you can either catch a short flight down to Floripa or you can get a bus which goes overnight. Um, it's about a 10-hour drive from Sao Paulo to uh, Florinopolis. Um, we drove. My wife is from Sao Paulo, so we flew in and visited her family for a night and then grabbed her parents' car <laughs> and drove down to meet up with Mateus. And then Mateus proceeded to spend the next 12 days grinding from dawn to dusk with us making sure that we were at the best waves at the right times, making sure that when the wind got shitty that we were already lined up to go meet up with the right characters and the right people from each area. And he bent over backwards and went in. I mean, he worked so much harder than any surfer I've ever done any of these projects with to make a point to show the density of culture and talent and creative characters that are from his hometown. Well, I can't wait to see what this kid does. His surfing is amazing. And some of the video edits that he's putting out is just incredible surfing. Uh, and you had a really cool chance to talk to him. And he was like your tour guide this whole trip. And I just thought it'd be really cool to share with our listeners that, that some of the conversations you had with him and his perspective on uh, growing up in that area of Brazil. As he's, he's super cool, man. Like, I, I hope he gets on tour for sure. My name, the right way to say my name is Mateus Erdi. You guys call me Matias Herdy. <laughs> and um, I'm 21 years old. I'm from Florianópolis, Brazil. And uh, I'm from this beautiful state called Santa Catarina. And uh, this place is like, it's where I grew up. It's, it's, in the, it's, it's in the same street where I grew up. It's right in the middle of, of Joaquina Beach and Praia Mali and the, you know, all the best beach breaks here in Florianopolis. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty mellow, not many cars, not many traffic, it's pretty good. And, you know, there's a little, uh, like a lot of spots to eat too around. And uh, yeah, I think it's my favorite place. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Florianopolis is the capital of the state, Santa Catarina. So it's an it's a island, but it's, it's a, it, in the same time, it's, it feels like a small city, but it's, it's a big city too. Uh, we have a mountain that uh, separates the beaches and you know all this zone that feels like uh, a small city and then the other side is downtown it's like all the malls all the you know buildings and everything so it's a very overall really good place to be you know because you have airports you have malls and movies and you know, all these big city things and in the other side of the mountain there's beach and, you know, waterfalls and 
get restaurants, all this place is very unique. Yeah, the good, the good thing about the coastline here in Santa Catarina, we have uh, all kinds of, you know, uh, swells. We have south swells, northeast swells, east swells, southeast swells. We don't have <laughs> west swells because that's, and it's like offshore, <laughs> pretty much everywhere. But uh, the good thing is uh, it's a coastline with uh, so many, so many var variation of winds and waves. We have big waves, we have small waves, we have barrels, turns, long waves, lefts, rights. It's like, I, I don't know, it's, uh, I'm kind of guilty, guilty to say it, but, but it's, I don't know, being a surfer here, if you, if you, you know, really wanted to look for good waves, you can find good waves almost every day. You know, you just have to get your car and go find it, you know. In the last 10 days, I drove, well, I drove the whole coastline of Santa Catarina. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know. I, it, I'm in being honest, it's not the first time that I did it. You know, I'm, sometimes I do this too. Um, I see the forecast and I know where it's going to be. And, you know, it's my... It's just the way I work. I think it's I take I take very seriously, you know, uh, being here and and like I'll feel bad if I'm a, I'm at home and I know there's a place an hour away that it's pumping and I'm I'm here because I'm, you know, I'm lazy or whatever. So I feel like uh, I know I'll be missing, you know, if I if I'm not there in a good swell or anything. So it, it's not that far, you know. If you drive north, it's only an hour away. If you drive south, it's only an hour away. So, I don't know, it's, it's for me, it just makes way more sense to go than not go. So the first zone that we went is the north, north of Santa Catalina. It's a place that it's called Itajaí. And the, it's like two cities, Itajaí and Balneário. They're both nice cities and they share a couple of the beaches. So in the same day, I think we surf. We were surfing in Balneário and then we were surfing in Itajaí like, because it's the same beach is, it, it isn't right in between those two cities. And uh, yeah, it's a really good place. I think the only problem there, we need a little bit of swell to go there. But it's always really punchy always there's barrels there's rights and lefts uh, now we have Peterson Crescento who used to be on tour he's living there he's not from there originally but he's been living there for a year a couple of years now and um, and you know it's only an hour away I always go there and surf with him and uh, we have our one of the the famous surfers from from Santa Catarina called William Cardoso and he's from there originally and uh, he was there raping that day and uh, yeah he was the guy who gave me a hard time during the QS <laughs> but he was such a, a master you know in, in the QS and helped me out in a lot of things so um, so we have those two there and uh, you know originally Neko Padrat is from there as well so it's one really good zone where surfers, you know, the the waves from there, I think, allow them to be a good surfers. So after that, we went to Machinos, which is not Santa Catarina anymore. It's uh, so the next state going going up north. 
and uh, it's pretty. It's not that far. It's like three hour drive, but uh, now they're they made a a really nice bank there. They put a send on, you know, kind of like snapper oxing, and then the bank is really good. And uh, we got there, and uh, and then there there are a couple of surfers there already training for a national event. And uh, this year it's kind of it's, it's changing a lot in surfing in Brazil. We we have this whole new uh, contest in Brazil that we used to have back in the day, where my dad used to compete, and you know Miguel's pupil, semi pupil dads used to compete, or Philippe's Toledo dad used to compete, you know. And uh, they, they, you know, they feed us with the money that they made on the on this national event, you know. And um, and uh, now, uh, you know, you went off for a couple of years, and now it's back on, you know. And now they, they're they're having contests almost every weekend, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a really good opportunity for all the surfers that they don't have money to go travel and do the QS so they can, you know, travel around Brazil and make a career in being a professional surfer in Brazil. So it was pretty cool to be there and see all these new kids coming up and you know, and guys that I haven't seen in, you know, so long they are getting back to compete and we were there and they're all ripping and it was a little bit crowded but uh, it was pretty fun. I, I got to surf a couple re really nice rides. <laughs> did that series last year? Yeah, I did it, but like few, like let's say two years ago, we didn't even have those contests anymore. So last year, they only had one, and then whatever won would be the national champ. And then I won, <laughs> and I was the national champ. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but it was just only one event, you know? Uh, I think the whole thing about Brazilians being together started way back in the day where when my uncle used to compete, you know. Uh, he told me a lot of stories that would happen back in those days. And uh, imagine there, it was a California-Australia tour, you know, and the outsiders was pretty much all the Brazilians and whatever, you know, Europeans or Brazilians. And, and, uh, and then, we didn't, you know, they, they didn't speak the language, they didn't speak English. It was really hard to them to be accepted, you know, in the surfing world. And uh, they kind of stick together and then that's how they, they opened the door for us, you know. And uh, my uncle told me so many stories about those eras and, uh, and I don't know, I, I think uh, we didn't have pro juniors events here in Brazil when I was 14 or 13 or 14, I was like, I was already done with amateur events. I didn't really want to stay in the amateur events because, you know, like not being cocky or anything, but I was already winning all of them. I, I didn't really, like not just me, but Sammy Pupo too, you know, we were both like, like we want something more because there's no pro juniors and the amateur just didn't feel right to be on the, the amateur events, right? you know? So Sammy, He's a year older than, than me, and he went to the QS, and I was like, you know what? Why not just do it? And then I started doing the QS, and uh, I remember being 15 and start traveling with Panda, you know, all my Peterson, Crescento, all these guys that I grew up watching, you know, like Shrimp, the Chago Camarón, and uh, 
and uh, you know Thomas Hermes, all those guys. I was like, wow, I'm such kid, and uh, with you know Jesse Mendes, I don't know, like all those guys was all, all they were all, all heroes to me, and uh, I don't know where I became. They're grown, and uh, I was being like calling. They still call me a grown, but I was like, you know, the the grown that would do anything, you know, would do the dishes, will whatever, help them with the boards and everything. And I think it was a pretty good thing to me because I was getting spoiled in, in the amateur events, being the best. And when I got there, I was just losing first round and helping all these guys, you know, and to be, you know, learning how to be humble, how to be respectful, learning other languages and, and traveling the world. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I don't know, I just had so many history, you know, and, and for some reason now that I'm 21, it feels like I'm on the QS for 10 years almost. And, and uh, I have this different bond with all these older guys that, you know, people of my age don't really have because they didn't travel back there, you know, so. There's good things coming out of it. Um, who are your biggest influences in Brazil? My big influences in Brazil, well, for these days, all in, I think it's today's Thomas Hermes. He's like pretty much my mentor. I'll like I'll do whatever he's doing. I'll try to copy him, and you know, surfing or or you know, adding it or anything like it. He's he's is he has this different deal things in, in and I think he's like his mind it works in a different way that I think no one in Brazil is really doing it or really thinking it and he was a, the guy that used to be on tour he did the QS for so many years and uh, for me what I really see is like a really happy guy satisfied with his life and he did everything you know and he was he did the QS he did the CT and uh, and he all he he traveled shooting. He traveled with his wife everywhere, just you know surfing and cruising and having the best time ever, you know. And and you see, it's way more than just competitions. It was like it's bigger than that, you know. And um, he's been one of my favorites for sure. And uh, and uh, I, you know, Yago is my neighbor. Yago and Leandro, they are. Um, Iago and Leandro, they are like, you know, the the ones that you have to look up here in Florianopolis. You know, they're they're hard workers. They've been hard. They've been working so hard in the last like 11, 12 years. I'll say, I'll, every day, surfing every day, and they're just such a good example for me. You know, of hard work, of surfing. You know, like they. They surf. They lo they have good taste in music. They they go and do sick edits. So Yago Leandro, they are they're a special thing here in Brazil and here in Florianópolis. Like, but not just Florianópolis, but Brazil. They're different. They're you know a, a different thing in the Brazilian storm. I'll say like they're different than the rest of them. You know, because and then yeah, of course Thomas and. And Yago, I think. Can you talk about your relationship with that balance of the pressure in Brazil to be a CT surfer and you wanting to make video parts and be, you know, Taj Burrow and Andy Irons instead of Adriana? 
Uh, I'm still dealing with that. Uh, it's a year that is changing everything. And uh, uh, one, one, one thing though that I, I told you before is I, I'm, I started surfing because of surf movies. I didn't start surfing because I saw, I don't know, like uh, Kelly winning a world title. I, I, I started surfing because I remember watching all the surf movies, Bruce movies, you know, Blue Horizon, all those movies that had competition as well, but you know, the thing is, it was the big picture. It was surfing, it was, you know, surfing with your friends and, and competing and having a good times and getting good waves. So I realized that, you know, this year I realized that what I really wanted to do is both, you know, I love competing. I will always be a competitor. It's just in my blood, I love competing, you know, like every time I put the jersey on, I always feel that you know, like exciting and everything, but like uh, one of the things here in Brazil, sometimes people uh, people think that you should choose between one and another, and uh, and you know what, I'm, I'm gonna do both, you know? I'm, I'm gonna compete, I'm gonna do free surfing, I'm gonna go do surf movies or surf trips with Stab or, you know, and, and go compete you know, all the QSs and hope qualify. And even when I qualify, I want to be, I want to do both, you know. Uh, that's why I started surfing and started surfing because of that, the whole picture of being a pro surfer. Surf movies, winning comps. Uh. Yeah, so my, uh, my, my family, uh, all my uncles and my dad surfed. Um, I had an uncle that used to be on tour, Guilherme Regi. My dad used to compete the QS. It's pretty cool too. Like my dad used to compete the QS just like me. We 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 went to the same spots in different areas and and uh, and then I don't know. It's it's different though. It feels like it feels way more uh, way more uh, like it it's supposed to be kind of. It's not like it, it it feels way more normal to be. A professional surfer than let's say someone who never had a, a history of surfing in his family, you know. So it's a different feeling, I guess. It just feels way no, super normal to be in, you know. And it's just the I don't know everything where I grew up here and I went to school and I used to go to school with uh, uh, Laura, who's her dad is Taiko Padrats, and Taiko and my dad used to compete together. And uh, and I used to went to school as well with uh, Nikos Padrad's son Nicholas, which was one of my best friends, and and I used to go school with uh, you know Yago's cousin, and Yago used to go to the same school where I did. So like, y'all, everything always felt so normal, like the surfing world here in Florianopolis since I was young. Uh, going to school till now that I'm competing and I have, you know, guys that used to compete against my uncle, you know, they're, so, I don't know, it's weird, but it's a good weird, you know, it's like, it's like, wow, that's sick. <laughs> um, can you explain the sort of Magic Island thing about Florinopolis and like all the people that are from here and why it's so, like, rich with talent? The Magic Island, the Magic Island, and uh, I, I don't know, I think it's pretty cool. 
I told you before, I, I remember growing up and only and, and, and hearing the stories in schools or older people tell the stories about werewolves and, and uh, uh, witches, you know, and uh, <laughs> we went to the witch's pussy yesterday. <laughs> so, but, but you can, like, you see there's like rocks that are really, they call witches pussy and they call, they're, you know, they're all, they have all these things about witches and, and werewolves and, and dragons and all, all this stuff, you know, like, yeah. uh, and growing up here, it was pretty nice to hear all these stories of old people telling you the stories and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm not going to lie to place that if you, if you don't know how to use it, if you're really just enjoying and going out because, you know, there's a lot of parties here and a lot of really beautiful girls. So, we had a lot of really good talents and, and a lot of my friends too, they, they got lost in, in drugs and going out every day. It's like, it's, it's a danger place for a poor mind. But if you have a, if you know what you want, it's the best place to be, you know? If you know, if you really want to, if you really, if you really want to be a pro surfer, if you really want to, grow and and always learn this is the place that will provide the best ways lefts rights um turns air winds for everywhere barrels so and 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 you know it's all here pretty close you know so it's it's a magic island and and you have to really if you if you know what you're looking for you find it let the sun warm your soul in the light. Now, Mateus comes from a bit of surf royalty, no? Like his uncle, Yerme Harde, was, was on tour, the CT, for quite a number of years. A really good goofy footer as well. And I believe he even finaled in Fiji at one point. Um, and his father, too, is also uh, a really uh, well-established surfer, correct? Yeah, his dad, Alex, they're all part of this generation of surfers, which include Mickey Pupo's dad, uh, Leandro Dora, Felipe Toledo's dad, all these surfers that were a part of this period of time where Brazil had this really thriving culture of national professional events. They had a national tour. You could be, you know, a fully-fledged professional surfer just surfing contests in Brazil. And that environment created that first generation of Brazilian surfers that made it to the championship tour. The sons of those, those guys have been the Brazilian storm. Yeah. And to see the relationship that they have, to see how proud that, uh, that generation is of this young crew of Brazilians. Um, it gives you a new appreciation for how much has gone into this period of Brazilian domination, because a lot of people have this sense that it just came out of nowhere. Like it just <laughs> happened. And I was like, well, not really. There's like, you're it's looking, building. it's been building like through. It was first, <laughs> it was a first tropical depression and then it turned into a tropical storm. Yeah. And it's almost a full-blown hurricane now. <laughs> um, and it's, it's very easy to understand 
why Brazil produces so many talented surfers and skateboarders and athletes. It is the most communal scene that I've ever been around. It's the most supportive scene that I've ever been around. The surfers on tour, the surfers on the qualifying series, the surfers that just work on creative projects, they all look out for each other. They support each other. They show up for each other's heats. They back each other on social media. They do everything they can to show each other support, which is something that they learn from Mateus's dad's generation, you know, that it's, you're way stronger together. You're already a thousand, you know, a million miles from home. You might as well like latch on to each other for, you know, for what it's worth. And I think that the results are impossible to ignore. You see the performance level that the Brazilians bring to every event and how radical their support teams are spread amongst the entire group. Uh, it's impossible for the Australians and the Americans not to see that and wish that they had that type of camaraderie and support. Um, and talking to those guys, for them, that's really what has made being on tour special is having those relationships and sharing those experiences with each other that they'll be able to talk about with their kids, you know? I mean, like, it, it kind of also starts, like, that region, particularly with Flavio Paparaz and Neko Paparaz, like, Flavio and Fab Flavio Padrats and Fabio Goivea were the first Brazilians really to make the top thirty on tour and and further, of course, top sixteen. Um, and and uh, Flavio is from Florinopolis originally, and it can't help but see that influence on everything. No, a hundred percent. The surf culture in that area is very much a product of that generation, of that late 80s skate and surf sort of infused radical like culture of Flavio, Neko, and then you look to like Andre Barros, Pedro Barros's dad, mm-hmm. who's another big part of the surf and skate scene. And more than a lot of places, the surf and skate scene has been intertwined in that area since, you know, the very first early days of both those cultures there and to see what they have going on now was humbling to see Mateus took us to go meet up with Pedro Barros um, at the original layback park. Pedro started a brand called layback a few years ago that does beer and coffee. That's all built around building skate parks Um around Brazil and sponsoring surf contests so that he can put something back into the culture that gave him his livelihood. Um, and more than I've seen really anywhere else, they have this sense of a responsibility to give back to the generations that are coming up behind them, no matter what position they're in in their career. Even Mateus seems like someone who's very interested in helping the younger generation of kids that are coming up behind him to get where he is. Um, and that sense of community feels very like special and unique to that area. Now, uh, what is, can you go a little bit more into layback? Cause it feels like a really interesting concept and it feels like something that, you know, is helping to propel, you know, the culture forward. Yeah. They've just in the last two years, they've opened, I believe 20 parks all throughout Brazil. All of them have like sort of community initiatives taxed, uh, attached to them. 
you go there and you see kids skating at all hours of the night. Their parents are hanging out, eating at any of the restaurants that are there. And uh, it's created these spaces that these kids feel like they have all of the resources that they could ever need to become either a professional skateboarder or just a productive member of the skate and surf community. Um, in the last few years, Layback sponsored a handful of the bigger qualifying series events in Brazil. They have, I think, three events now, um, which is more than you can say about California or yeah. the East Coast. You know, They put their money where their mouth is when it comes to supporting culture. And you see that return on their investment in how flourishing the brand is, how well they're received for all their events and how much people seem to want to get, to get involved with what they're doing. Um, it's really like just caught fire in the last few years and it's a blueprint for what, a, I don't, I, I don't want to say philanthropic, but a generous uh, like public facing business can do as a service to their community. Well, Matias does a really good job of, uh, of, articulating just how important uh, Pedro is to this community here. I think Pedro has a way, uh, he's way bigger than just like skate here because he helps the community of Fernopolis being together, giving a good example for kids not just like being the best in, in 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 the sport but like think bigger than that you know like and do he did at so many um uh like skates park or brands new brands and new and new and new things surf parts yeah so many so many so many things he did is way bigger than just skating and and uh, that's why he's one of the best not He's like really, really talented and he won almost everything that he has to win in skating. But is what he is behind that, you know, he would be, even if he didn't win it, all of these things, he would still be one of the best just because of who, what, who, is, who, who he is, you know? So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's it. <laughs> Can you explain his uh, layback project and what he's doing with that brand? Yeah, so I remember Layback started like 2013, 14, something like that. And uh, he did the beer and uh, and then he invented the beer Layback and he, he opened a, a, a place called Layback Park here close to where I used to live. And uh, we all used to went there like eat or hang out and like parties and all this stuff. And the things just start, uh, like growing, you know. And this brand started growing, and growing, getting bigger. And now there's like three or four layback parts in Florianopolis. And he did so many skate events with the, you know, sponsoring the events with with the layback. And now it's like with all these athletes from skate and surfing. And he already did three QSs for us here in Florianopolis and in Rio as well. So it's like, it's crazy. He's not just doing for skating, he's doing for surfing as well. And, uh, and I think if you ask him why layback, I think it's like, 
it's a it's a thing that you can do is in surfing and skating though. You can do lay back in both and uh, and then he's giving giving everything back for the community, you know, like skating and surfing. And it's sick, it's like he's doing three QSs, you know, these days. So getting into the waves, what what were you surprised most about in terms of surf quality there? So I'd spent a bit of time in Rio and up in Sakurama and, you know, people have this idea that it's just all backwash and beach breaks and the occasional novelty slab and also that it's like blistering hot all the time. And we were there in the winter. The southern part of Brazil gets proper cold, like central and northern California cold. And they have all variety of waves. We served long right point breaks. We served wedgy right slabs. I'm going to say right way too many times in a row. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it was almost hard to keep track of all the different waves that we surfed. Every day, Mateus had us going to some little nook or cranny that he knew was going to be good on a certain tide or a certain wind. Points, beach breaks, little like half moon rock, little coves with wedges all over them. And any variety of river mouths and sandbar setups that you could imagine. When it comes to Florinopolis, you're dealing with an island that has, you know, at the very least 180 degrees of wind protection. So it's a lot of moving from, from one spot to the other based on the wind changing. And super consistent. We were there for two weeks and we probably surfed, I would say, good waves 70% of the time. Wow. Um, the one the one unique thing about that area is there's a six week period in late spring, our late spring, so May and June usually. Their autumn, then I guess. Their autumn, where there is a specific fish that runs through the area called taina, and the indigenous tribes manage the waterways there, and it's forbidden to surf for. A month and a half. Wow. From No way. I don't know if it's all of Santa Catarina, but it's a majority of the spots there. And it's a very big point of contention. Supposedly, if you do try and surf, when you get out of the water, they'll chase you and beat you with bamboo sticks. Like old fishermen chasing you down the beach with bamboo sticks to get you out of the water. Um, so we didn't know that when we were first planning the schedule. And we were trying to go down there at that time. And the um, my filmer and... Uh, co-editor on the my filmer and co-director on the series due to Saracuras from uh Garapaba and Uruguayana in that zone and called him was like hey I know you guys have this on the schedule but it's Tina season I was like what is Tina season and he explained it to me and I couldn't wrap my head around any fish being so important that they wouldn't let people in the water and the idea is that they think that surfers scare the fish from the area that they're trying to fish so they mm. Don't want them surfing. I thought it was like a really dangerous fish. Maybe no. you need to stay out of no, the water. Like mullet. For they're like netting these things. I don't even know if you can catch them. You got to go net them. Uh, they must yeah. be really delicious. Oh, delicious. Um, yeah, I do think that Brazil has some of the most underrated food on the planet. Let's sure. talk about that because oh. I, my vision of 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 it is like a lot of churrascaria, like kind of steak, meat. But also, obviously, acai bowls. But the South, I imagine, has a different cuisine 
to maybe the North and Rio and like, what are some of the differences potentially in some of the, in the areas and like what, what, what is local there that would, you wouldn't see other parts of Brazil? The, much of the cuisine of Brazil comes from Minas Gerais, which is inland of Sao Paulo, which is another state that's sort of like the food capital of Brazil. And you see that influence all over Santa Catarina, Pau de Queijo, um, you know, Brazilian cheese bread. Like there's all these sort of staples that everyone seems to eat everywhere they go. Tapioca, which for us is like pudding, but for there, it's almost like a crepe that's made out of tapioca flour mm. with sweet or savory fillings. Um, lots of meat. They <laughs> eat a lot of meat. Lots uh, of meat. The southern, the southern range of Brazil is sort of... Battle cattle land it's like texas or you know like montana or something like that it feels like the a little bit like the western part of the united states and it has a huge they call they're called gauchos um and it's like a full cowboy culture that's you know entirely unique to the borderlands of uh brazil uruguay and argentina and those areas are famous for meat production for really specific breeds of hybrid cattle um, and for delicious beef. Um, so you see that pretty much everywhere. And then seafood is affordable, super fresh. Um, Especially the Taina. Yeah. <laughs> we had, uh, we went and hung out with Tomas Hermes and Anna, Haman, uh, and Anna Hamanio, his wife and partner and filmmaker. Tomas is sort of the first Brazilian free surfer, which was part of the episode was us exploring this idea that Brazil has been very dominant within competitive surfing, but they're perceived as being not the most productive, like creative free surf culture, that that's really not part of the main surf culture there, which I think you could argue is true. Tomas is definitely one of the exceptions to that rule, but even for Tomas, it's been the big challenge has been having to do contests to afford to be a, a, a free surfer um, and then figuring out how to share that and do that with his wife and partner. Well, I think what uh, Tomas is doing for Brazilian professional surfing and free surfing in, in general is really huge. It's gonna have a very big impact because there hasn't been a huge history of Brazilian free surfers. And I think Tomas is really paving the way. And I think Mateus does a really wonderful job of contextualizing that here. Um, we also have a little interview you did with uh, Tomas and his wife, Anna, but their English is a little bit more limited. So I thought uh, Matthias also helps really give a great context to the relevance and the importance of what Tomas is doing. And I think his impact is going to be much bigger than what a lot of people realize. Different than the rest of the surfers of his generation. I think, I think that uh, his mindset, going like during the process, like he was just really not. I, I won't say like oh he's enjoying the process, but which he really is. But it's this is just like a cliche, cliche thing to say, but. He really did, and he he got to travel the QS and travel the the CT and 
shooting with his wife and enjoying other things like, I don't know, you will go to, to waterfalls or whatever it is, you know, to meet the places and really travel and enjoy their time there. You know, where like most of the surfers would just go there, compete, lose first round, and leave, go back home, you know? And I think those little things in, in the end, it really, they, they really appreciate their time during the QS, during the CT, and they're still doing it. They're still traveling. They're still enjoying their time at home, enjoying their time here when they come here. And I think they're that, because they're not that, uh, for them it's not like, oh, if I lose, it's like, it's done, you know? Because of that, I think they're so different. They're like, they're not just there because of the competition. They're there because of the comp, because of the place, because of the lifestyle that it is being a pro surfer. Um, would you consider Tomas like one of the first like Brazilian free surfers too? No, he's the first Brazilian free surfer, I think. Like that made, that Tomas made, he's still doing his life uh, as a free surfer because, you know, when he was on tour, he was just not on tour because he was a pro surfer or he was just getting, he was not getting paid because he was a pro surfer. He was just a pro surfer and a free surfer. He was competing and shooting. He was never, he never stopped to be a free surfer. He was always competing and being a free surfer. And, uh, and I think he, he was the first one to, that people don't realize like he's our first free surfer, you know? Okay, my name is Anna. And we are making films together since, like, real films, like video clips, I think since 2000. Let's see if she has a good memory. No. <laughs> I don't know if maybe she, 2009. She's really good with the numbers. 2009, 10. 2010? 11, no. It was around 2005. No, five, five. I start to film, yeah. but to make me to make yeah to make a real Leo. to make this is the cutest like couple anniversary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like no to, when get start to get a series is around two thousand ten. But I start nine. to film yeah. around two thousand five uh, with a mini DV camera, like no tripods, uh, filming on my knee and. And he started to editing things, and I, I, and then we bought some new equipment and getting more serious. Get, go. Yeah, that was the beginning. By the way, I'm I'm Thomas Armes. Yeah, <laughs> so, would you argue that you're the first like Brazilian free surfer, like in modern times, like in the age that we live in? Would you be considered the, the first real like guy that was like focused on putting out video clips and that kind of stuff? It it is hard to like putting myself in the the first one, you know. I think that there is a lot of people to has been work with try to work with the video clips and the stuffs here in Brazil. We know it, it is really hard because the culture is, a, is a, around the competition. But I think maybe I'm the first guy to, to do both, you know? 
competition and like make videos and try to create my website and edit my stuff and do a zinis or whatever mm -hmm. or art and like for me it's hours like that competition and like free surf is for me is come came from brazil it, it's all together you know yeah uh you were saying that you launched your channel like a couple of weeks before marine layer a year maybe yeah probably yeah what was that era like as a surfer because i feel like that was such a like brave new world you know of having all of a sudden surfers putting out their clips each, each week people don't like before instagram you know it's like such a like there was such like productivity and there was so many surfers doing just that but i feel like you were the first guy from brazil to like have a vimeo account and do the whole like website and you know the way that dane or beyond ages or those guys were right yeah i probably it's hard to say like I'm the first one, you know, because you, you never know what what people has been doing, like me. Sometimes I'm I'm work like behind this, this scenes or something like that. Like I have been work by myself, but people don't know you, you and like don't know what what you're doing in your home or something like that. Probably that's there's some people that we we don't know, yeah. but like I think I like I said, I think I I start to like putting myself in the competition for like, or making money or make stuff like that to believe in like my- To support. To support and believe in, can, I can mm -hmm. be like a free surfer mm -hmm. in, in, in the other way, you know? Now you also got to pay uh, respects in pilgrimage to Ricardo de Santos, correct? And I was hoping you can kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, Ricardo dos Santos was a super talented big wave surfer. And at the time, he was considered probably one of the top five best tube riders on the planet. I remember he won the trials at uh, Chopu and then went on to get third in the event and win the Andy Irons Award in, I think, 2015, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, he was one of the most promising young stars of the country and universally adored, not just amongst Brazilians, but anyone within that community of surfers that were searching out the heaviest, hollowest, biggest waves that they could find. He was one of those guys that was just out with a smile on his face, like fearlessly sending it on the heaviest waves he could find. He was a standout at pipe. Um, and he was shot in cold blood out front of his house by an off-duty police officer um, after an altercation that happened uh, in the morning out front of this house that he'd been building in the town that he grew up, which is called Guarda, which is this beautiful little harbor village that's built on the inside of this river mouth. And his dream house that he'd been building was located right on the point. Um, and Bruno Zanin, who's one of the most talented filmmakers on the planet, and one of Brazil's like sort of new faces as far as creative filmmaking goes was Ricardo's filmer when he was really young. Ricardo was the person who encouraged Bruno to first pick up a camera and really take it seriously. So Bruno took us to go see, you know, the sort of tribute that's been, uh, that's been raised in honor of Ricardo. Um, and to see Guarda, which is 
you know, you immediately think about someone like Ricardo de Santos being killed and your mind paints this picture of this like very dark place. And Guarda is one of the most beautiful little towns I've ever seen. The, you take these little like rowboats that you rent across the harbor to this little like finger of sand. And then there's just perfect offshore waves, just like breaking up and down this little river mouth beach break. Um, and little shacks doing caipirinhas on the beach and acai. And we got to go hang out with Ricardo's brother um, and go to a football game for the national team that they were both like big fans of, which was called Figuera, which was maybe the most intense experience of my entire <laughs> six months was going to that game. Um, but yeah, it was, I, Ricardo was one of those guys who his memory sort of looms large wherever you go with people who he made an impact on and an impression on. Um, he was a very, very special person. And you got the sense that everyone there was trying to do their best to live the way that he would have wanted them to live. Because I do think that his death was one of the most incredibly heartbreaking stories of Brazilian surfing of the past probably 25 years. Now, uh, what boards were you riding when you were down there? I, <laughs> my <laughs> boards got lost in transit. and As you do. <laughs> so I, I called Mateus. I was like, oh, my board's not going to show up for a few days. And Mateus is like full drill sergeant. Like he had a schedule that we had to stick to. And there was no, I don't give a fuck if your boards don't show up. We're doing it. So as I'm scrambling trying to deal with the airlines i get a phone or i get a, a video sent to me from mateus of him and his uncle breaking into his dad's storage space <laughs> slash old surf shop to pull out a board for me to use of his uh so i was lucky enough to borrow one of alex hermes uh sorry i was lucky enough to borrow one of alex Hurdy's boards and wetsuits, which I didn't realize I needed to bring. I was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'm sure it'll be a little chilly, but it's Brazil. <laughs> it's like fucking 58-degree water and like 40-degree air. Um, but I was very grateful that they have a really strong uh, national industry there of you know wetsuit production, surfboard manufacturing. And we got to go see uh, Trust Wetsuits, T-R-U-Z-Z, um, which is a wetsuit brand that's mm. sort of come up in the last 15 or 16 years. They manu they manufacture all their wetsuits in Brazil. The neoprene's beautiful. It's like as good as anything I've gotten from any of the suit makers that build suits in the Shiko factory. Um, and neoprene that's as soft as anything that I've gotten from Japan. Wow. And all made by surfers in Garopaba, which is the town where Mormais from and a lot of the early like uh, Hang Loose Brazil and all the sort of like classic surf brands are all from that town from Garapaba. That's amazing. So I guess like what would you recommend if people want to go there? How would you recommend it as a surf trip? I tell everyone to go to Brazil. I think that Brazil should be at the top of people's list of surf destinations as far as the like combination of super fun waves for 99% of the surfers out there uh incredibly bright vibrant welcoming warm culture super friendly people um you could surf by yourself 
you can chase waves. You can, you know, if you want to party, if you want to eat good food, if you just want to be in gorgeous natural environments, um, all, I mean, Brazil in general has it all, but I've really fallen in love with Southern Brazil. It feels like a mix between a South American country, a European city and a California surf town. Um, or at least Floripa does. And they just have so much going on that I can't imagine ever getting bored there if I was visiting. Like, I feel like I could have spent three months there and still wouldn't have done all the things that I wanted to do. And Mateus had us doing like 16 hour days. No wow. shit. Like, <laughs> like we would get picked up at five 30 in the morning and he would bring us back at 11 o'clock at night. It was like, full-blown Brazilian boot camp with Mateus Hurdy, <laughs> and he wasn't taking no for an answer. Uh, but yeah, if you have, if you ever have the opportunity to go to Brazil, take my advice and go. If you're, if you're, you know, whatever you're looking for is there. I guarantee it. And costs. Let's talk cost, local economy here. Yep. What uh, are we uh, expected to shell out if we are going to go down there? If you were to ask most Brazilians, they would say Sao Paulo, Santa Catarina, the south of Brazil is fairly expensive. If you're coming from a country where you're bringing U.S. or Australian dollars, it is ridiculously cheap. Food, like anything you can imagine, it's probably a third to a quarter of the price for a comparable quality meal for a comparable quality surfboard or wetsuit and you know, anything you need there is as far as I was able to see significantly cheaper. It's a very affordable surf trip. Accommodations are cheap. There's, you know, you could find a place that's 30 or 40 bucks a night and, and you know, a little bit dodgy or you could stay in a luxury um, accommodation for, you know, a few hundred bucks a night. I'll recommend that if you're going to Florianopolis, you stay at Joaquina Lofts, which is a little homestay and Airbnb right on the street that at the end there's a little like secret beach break that Mateus grew up surfing. Uh, and the owner's secret no more. Stevison. Oh no, he'll tell you. <laughs> you have to hike in normally, like, you know, it's like a twenty minute hike up and down these like crazy little jungle trails to find the beach. And we surfed there probably four times with nobody else out. Amazing. Walking distance from our house. Um, and then Joaquina beach is one of the most famous sort of like recreational beaches and surfing beaches in the area. It's a very, it's like, uh, I don't know how we, we compare it to it's, it's a, it's a very like visited surf spot. You pull up, there's like paid parking and cafes on the beach and surf, you know, rentals and schools. And, um, it's a fully developed little corner of Florinopolis. Um, but yeah, I would fly in travel as much as you can from north to south spend as much time as you can in each spot it's uh it will ne I, I can't imagine ever getting bored or feeling uh like i wasn't getting my money's worth in brazil well we can't discuss brazilian surfing without talking about brazilian jiu-jitsu um you know both go kind of hand in hand and both have had uh, major impacts on each other. Um, particularly like the Hawaiians have really adopted Brazilian jiu-jitsu as their, you know, part of their training for surfing even. And Brazilians obviously have adopted, you know, Hawaiian style of surfing and culture. 
Uh, so I think it's really fascinating. The, the, the two cross over so much. And you got to talk to the publisher of Moist, which is a Brazilian magazine, which definitely has fascinating conversations and really great articles. And uh, you talk to Steve Allen, who is the publisher, and you guys talk about how the two sports kind of overlap. And I really love this conversation. And I, I think for our listeners, it's, it's really relevant. And if you're going to know about Brazilian surfing, you kind of need to know, talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. I think probably the biggest international export out of Brazil over the past two decades has unarguably been jiu-jitsu. And I think I'm probably one of the only surfers on the planet that's never been to a jiu-jitsu class. And I'm about to go get choked out by the most handsome green-eyed gentleman in Southern Brazil, the editor of Moist, Steve Elaine, who we met last episode of No Contest. He's been training for years. What's up, bro? So this is it, do you call it a dojo? What do you call this? The gym? Gym, yeah. It's so I much think, cooler than a dojo. Yeah, dojo is, <laughs> I don't know. I think some guys call, some guys call the teacher sensei or like, some guys still, you know? Yeah. But you don't have, I don't think you have to. So this is three taps. You've been yeah. training here for a while? Yeah, since I moved to, to Garopaba, three taps. Uh, and that's- Professor Andrea, yeah. That's like saying uncle. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, because the three taps, you know, it's the best solution for a lot of, <laughs> The other people, when they say, oh, how do you get out of this position? Three taps, you know? <laughs> you give up. Uh, that's pretty much all I need to know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. <laughs> so what made you get into jiu-jitsu? Well, I feel like it's one of those things that surfers, when they get into it, they feel this real connection between the two pursuits, you know? Mm -hmm, and I yeah. feel like people always talk about how complementary they are. Dude, they're so complementary and there's so many parallels, you know? Like, first of all, it's not a team sport. It's, it's an individual thing. And like surfing, there's this thing where you can't really hide, like, and sometimes you're on top of the world and other times it humbles you. Like you go out and you surf well and you're thinking, look, I'm the man. The next day you just, you know, the ocean shows you where, you know, who's the boss. And he, here's the same thing, you know, like sometimes you're tapping all the people and you, you think you're the man, but then the next session you just get tapped out and then you like, you put back in your place. So, and that just, there's that thing of like, when you're in a bad situation, a tense situation, like you're out getting a huge set on the head, you can't run, you, you have to deal with that, you know, like, and you have to breathe and be calm, even though you're, you're being choked out, you gotta like, you know, so there's a lot of parallels, but, and I think, I think that attracts surfers the most, you know? Yeah. But uh, I started like everyone else, I guess. I saw Royce Gracie on UFC and I was like, oh, this is interesting, I should do this, you know, like, because I already did capoeira, but it was it was a different thing, you know. Yeah. So the Gracie family are synonymous to most people with jiu-jitsu internationally. Yeah. They're from Rio originally, or from? They're, they're from Manaus, but then they moved to Rio, and that's where it spread. Yeah. You know, uh, in the beginning of last century, about almost exactly 100 years ago, this Japanese guy came to Manaus, which is in the Amazon, and uh, he's teach a kind of judo, kodokan, used to be called. And he, he taught Carlos uh, Gracie Jr. And he adapted that and created Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then he moved to, to Rio and then the rest is history. I, I've always heard stories about some of the Brazilians coming to Hawaii in the 90s 
and getting picked on for a little bit and then finally kicking the shit out of everyone. And then the Hawaiians showing up like fully humbled and saying, teach us jujitsu, you guys can surf wherever you want. Yeah. And a lot of the jujitsu guys who don't surf went to Hawaii like, yeah, you know, I'm going to open a school. I'm going to teach all these guys. And the surfers are like, no, please don't teach them. <laughs> you know, we have a disadvantage, you know, but uh, nah, Hawaiians picked it up real quick, real quick, you know. So much so that the first jujitsu world champ, non-Brazilian, was Hawaiian. Really? Yeah, BJ Penn. Uh, he's a first. He was the first world champ, non-Brazilian world champ at Black Belt. And... Um, so yeah, Hawaiians like, took it, took it in, and 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 now it's spread out in the world. I mean, of course, Brazilians are amongst the best, but but uh, in the states, in Europe, and it's just spread out. There's so many world champs from everywhere. Uh, Duda was talking about how um, a lot of surf communities around the world have a lot of California influence, mm-hmm. but that Brazil is almost entirely Hawaiian influence. That like the the, the culture that they wanted to bring here was that like Hawaiian style of surf culture mm-hmm. uh, and it's cool to see that like exchange nowadays you know 30 yeah. years or 40 years later it's like everyone in Hawaii wants to be a jiu-jitsu back black belt and come here to train and like see where it's from you know yeah, just, the way that Brazilians were going to the North Shore to see you know the center of big wave surfing yeah man it's 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 so amazing because I have, I'll, give, I'll give you an example like one of the first times I went to Hawaii I went to train at Sunset BJJ uh, JD runs it you know and when you go to Hawaii as a young Brazilian, you know, and you, you kind of, you know, you, you keep quiet, you, you, you don't talk loud, and you kind of, you know, get low, you maintain a low profile. And when I got there, he was like, hey, everyone, this is Steve. He trains with Fabio Gurgel in Sao Paulo. Please welcome him, you know. And everyone was so welcoming, you know. Yeah. And, and even guys that in the water were, like, super, like, serious and, you know, wouldn't really say hi to you. And... And they were so welcoming, you know. So I was like, dude, this is cool because it, it kind of changes the, the the whole dynamic of, yeah. of it, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people are probably intimidated to walk into a jiu-jitsu studio. Yeah. I know. But they shouldn't be, right? No, they shouldn't I shouldn't be. be. You shouldn't be. I was. I was the first time I went in, yeah. you know. You, you don't know what to expect. Yeah. And... Um, but you shouldn't be intimidated and you should leave your ego out the door. I keep getting, people keep telling me to read uh, Gracie's book, Breathe. Have you ever read that book? I've read parts of it yeah. <laughs> on a boat trip recently. That's, that's Rickson Gracie's book. Rickson was, is the main, probably the most famous Gracie, you know, but um, that's his, his story, not of the, all of the Gracies. But I think it's a really interesting book to, to read and to get a feel for it. There's another book called, I think, Carlos Gracie, which mm-hmm. is story of Carlos the, the guy who started it all and it's very long and it's, it, yeah. it details every single <laughs> fight he had people are life. very granular yeah. about jiu-jitsu yeah like people are obsessed with it yeah but is do you feel like it's true though that breath is sort of like the most important thing to think about in jiu-jitsu because I feel like people talk about that in surfing nowadays too like the importance of breath work and trying to figure out how to remain calm in stressful situations through using breath uh, and for me I feel like it's like the only fucking safety net that I have in those situations is like, just breathe. Yeah. Uh, so breathe and and, and tap. See, I mean, you breathe have, and tap out. Yeah, you have to remember. You can always, Here's what you need you to remember. You can always say, look, I stop. I don't want to continue. Out. I don't want to continue. But you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be too uh, intimidated. You know, it's no one's gonna hurt you. Right? It's gonna be fine. It's <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> All right, and so you there's a uniform. Yeah, there's a gi. You can't well, just show up in board shorts and a t-shirt. You can, like, because there's two. 
can you say two um como é que fala modalidade disciplines two dis yeah two two kind of two disciplines there's uh, the gi the traditional with the kimono and the no gi mm -hmm. uh so there's big no gi contests which is closer to reality because you're not going to be wearing a rope like yeah winning when we're fighting but but it's it's interesting to to train in both i think because the gi gives you a lot of like you can grab like a lot of fabric yeah. and it gives you other options the no gi is quicker because there's nothing to grab onto so it's, it's more physical you know yeah i like both equally but i think today we'll, we'll try with the gi which is the most efficient you, know? sick. you got you got a kimono for me to borrow yeah yeah sick well thank you for having me i'm stoked yeah, to see yeah. this place Later, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
they feel make them who they are. And the more that you interact with people and they feel like you, you're witnessing that, I feel the more they feel comfortable letting you get deeper and deeper into their scene. Um, and at this point, I feel like every place that I've left, I've had this like this little hollow feeling of like I was leaving behind a little family kind mm -hmm. of, uh, because you get to see the real holistic like organism operating and how everyone works together. Like, you know, big families do. And, um, I feel like I have a completely new perspective on each location that feels familiar when you put them all next to each other. Um, yeah. To me, it feels like surf culture is, is such a big diverse set there's some core commonalities but to me what i love to see is um you know these other places that have a culture and they take surfing and put their own spin on it and their own kind of uh you know interpretation of what surfing is and i think as long as you have that, like surfing will, will, will grow in so many unexpected ways and in unexpected places. It's, it's beautiful to watch and see, and it always keeps it super fascinating and interesting. You know, that, that's something that I think watching these and, and by my own travels, like I love to see, um, people put their own spin on surfing and push, push the boundaries of what is surfing even. Yeah. I mean, people can make arguments about what surf culture is, but to me, surf culture has always been the community and the scene that people have built in the towns that they're from together. Yeah. And their realities as people from those areas traveling to other locations and the way that those things cross pollinate. And for me doing this series, it has validated my belief that being a surfer, it is fucking impossible to ever get bored or to run out of ideas for adventures. There's always somewhere new to go. There's always some new wave and some new scene that is of interest. And there is always going to be like that next trip that you want to take for a good reason. Um, and I hope that when people watch the series that they have that little spark that's like, fuck it, I'm going to book a trip. Like I want to go on a fucking surf trip. Where are we going? Because to me, if there's any utility to any of this, it's to light a fire under people's asses. Now, here's my suggestion. If you ever do another season of this, uh -huh. you bring one board to all the places. Try to do a one board quiver. I tried That's this a challenge. I backed out. <laughs> I, I had Al Chapman build me a 7.6, and I was like, oh, it'll be like Hinson and Robert August. You know, they just had one board, no board bag. Like, what would the board be? Uh so next season, that's that's the challenge. I'm going to throw down for you if you can do it. Yeah. You know, because you sound like all the guys in the office that keep giving me a hard time about getting too many boards. <laughs> I like one board. <laughs> well, you know, when I back in my day when I traveled, I went with one board. You know, from Ireland down to Morocco, and uh, let me tell you, I uh, it, it sufficed. <laughs> when I was doing it, I almost I, I almost called Lewis Samuels. Yes, and I was like. Would you mind me ripping off your have board? board? Was it have board will travel or no yeah. board? Was it called the tomorrow board? No, yeah, uh, where he would go somewhere and he'd have to like come. He had to figure out a way to get a board. 
Um, yeah. Well, if you're filming this series, I don't think you'll have a problem getting aboard, <laughs> though, you know? <laughs> um, to, to finish it out, all right. Favorite meal. Favorite meal. On, on all these trips. I know it's a difficult one. There's been a lot of meals. Uh, <laughs> I would wonder what my what the caloric intake of this season has been. That's something to keep track of yeah. next season. <laughs> Fuck. It's, it's personally, uh, it, it's it's been a fluctuating scale. Um, my favorite meal for sure was the last barbecue that we did in Brazil. Brazilian barbecues are the best barbecues in the world. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. And it's not just about the meat or the style. It's about the pace and the whole project of the thing. A Brazilian barbecue lasts anywhere from three to five hours and involves countless rounds of meat and sausages and caipirinhas and all these different accoutrements. And you eat slowly while having great conversations with people that just come and go and, you know, a party that grows and, uh, yeah, if you, if I could have a Brazilian barbecue every afternoon for the rest of my life, I would. <laughs> you probably wouldn't live very long then, would It'd you? It'd be a happy, short <laughs> life. It'd be a happy, short, cachaça and dance filled life. All right. Best standout session. The, I would say the Fiji session with Julian on the, the outer ledge was the most humbling session that I've had in years um, and was one of those sessions that it like it leaves you with so much like just fucking fury that you didn't get the wave that you wanted <laughs> and I love sessions like that because I feel like they send me back to the drawing board and being like all right I'm gonna train I'm gonna get my boards dialed in I'm going back and I think that there's surf trips that you take you go there and you go there once and you're happy to have gone there all of the places that i went on this season i want to go back to i want to go back to cloud break and get it as good as we got it with the right equipment with the right mindset more than just about anything on the planet i would say that the standout session for me though personally was our last day shooting our last uh, episode in Brazil. Mateus took us to this little island called Lagoinha, which I could name. That's fine. Mateus took us to this <laughs> we could island. We that out and post that. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> Mateus took us on this, uh, this little like strike mission to this desolate island called Lagoinha that you either have to hike in for about, I don't know, it's like a two and a half hour hike or a 45 minute boat ride. And we pulled up and it was all of our friends that we'd sort of, you know, traveled around with for the past two weeks throughout Brazil. Uh, and just this empty beach of perfect emerald blue, chest to head high offshore wedges, just spitting barrels left and right, nobody around. And the feeling that we had just finished six months of shooting this series and we just had to surf, get our shit back in the boat and head home. And we were wrapped. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a euphoric feeling. It was, uh, it was a special day. Well, Ashton, thank you for taking us on this journey and giving us a little bit of a, uh, a deeper dive and a behind-the-scenes look at uh, No Contest Off Tour. And, you know, for all our listeners, again, you can find it on Red Bull TV. 
And of course, um, you know, keep tuned to everything that uh, everything's going on. And Ashton, where can uh, our listeners find you if they want to uh, DM you some other recommendations for future venues or places for you to go? Yeah, I feel like people are, uh, for some reason, a little bit tentative to hit me and ask me uh, travel recommendations, but I'm an open book and I'm happy, you know, the, the, the people who I've had the, the great fortune of becoming friends with at all these areas, um, it's, I stay in very close contact with all of them. I know what's going on in each of the scenes and uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up. Uh, Bellican Trading Company on Instagram. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, how does it feel to be called the Anthony Bourdain of surfing right now? Uh, <laughs> uh it it feels like imposter syndrome <laughs> uh i don't know if anyone can can fill those uh those critical shoes now but, uh it's always been my dream to try and um and for everyone else thank you so much and you can always find me at uh swell season surf radio uh, that is uh, our, my podcast, and uh, thank you for listening to all of us. And uh, is there anyone you want to thank uh, before we we close out the show? Um, no, I'm I'm yes. There's tons of people I need to thank. Actually, uh, the list of people that I would need to thank for the last six months of traveling, making this show, would be astronomically long. Um, but my wife Julia, uh, my partner on the project. Uh, due to Sarakura, Tom Bird and Beck Luca. Tom's our Australian publisher. Beck's my producer on the series um, from Stab. And then Anthony Sedgwick and Josh Walker have been hugely helpful and creatively um, active in the project since day one. And I can't thank them enough for the patience and the vision watching us sort of put this show together on the road from afar and helping us to sort of shape it and rein it in uh, as we learned how to make a proper travel show um, with all of the open-endedness that it implies. And uh, I just want to give a quick thanks and shout out to Jason Belsky of Floored Media uh, for being our engineer in tech. And uh, yeah, we will hopefully see everyone for another season and we hope you enjoyed this podcast series. We'll uh, see you in the lineup soon. Go surfing.